Well, good morning. Wow. Um, I don't really know how to follow all the things that have happened already this morning, but this is super exciting. Thank you all for being here. Mitch just told you, uh, but my name is Tim. If we have not had the opportunity to meet, uh, that is my name. I hold no special title here. He said Pastor Tim Careful, District Superintendent might come get you. Definitely not a pastor. Um, but I am so honored to bring to you the message today. The title of today's message is There is Power in the Name of Jesus. I introduced myself to you by my name because the name is the first thing that we learn about somebody. Before we learn their social status, the relationship status, where they go to school, what their favorite sports team is, we learn their name. Because it's important to learn somebody's name. It tells us a little bit about their identity. So how does one come up with a name? When I was a kid, I come from a, a pretty large family, there's seven of us, and we were spaced almost every two years, and except for the last one, she's here today, wherever you are. Um, but every couple of years, one of us would get our license, well, we only had one car, so we had to, We decided that we were going to name our cars, and we had to kind of come together. So our first car that we had was uh, Rhonda the Honda. She was a good car. Yeah. And then she died because she was older than me. And then we got Wanda the Honda. Really original, I know. And my brother, my oldest brother, a few years older than me, he actually got a Honda as well when he graduated college. And he named her La Fonda the Honda. <laughs> We love Hondas, we also love Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, so, just for fun, I thought it would be good to go down a little bit of memory lane in our own country's history as it pertains to names. So in 1960, the most popular names amongst boys and girls is Michael and Lisa. I bet we got some Michaels and Lisas here today. Yeah, yeah. In the 70s, Michael and Jennifer. Yep. In the 80s, Michael and Jessica. In the 90s, Michael and Jessica. Wow. Alright, so in the 2000s, a little bit. You know what's funny about it? Like, I've got all my notes here written, I don't have this written. Like, I feel like our generation went, um, I know a whole lot of those people were going to switch. So we went over here, and in the 2000s, we have. Jacob and Emily. Wow. We got any Jacobs and Emily? Yeah. And in the current decade that we are in, we have Noah and Emma. Now, all of this is according to the Social Security Administration, right? A simple Google search is where I got this information. But if you're anything like me, you started to notice in recent years that names are becoming a lot less traditional. And we're getting a lot more creative with our name. Because I stood at the back when all of the massive, awesome children were coming by. I didn't see one Michael. Sorry. Michael. <laughs> right? So, this again, this is not an indictment of any kind of negativity on uh, non-traditional naming choices. But we have simply changed the way in which we name. And we name now, I think, with our children a lot more towards originality and sentiment. I got a friend here today that I work with. She came only because I was like, hey, I'm gonna talk about you in my service. Okay, her name is Brecken. She's sitting right over there. Her mom came with her today. And I said, Brecken, how did you get your name? She's like, oh. Right? And I asked her mom when she came in, I said, I gotta get this straight. Where did Brecken get her name? And she said, her, my mom, her grandma really liked it. So we went with Brecken. So what, her, what Brecken and I decided is that she's named after Breckenridge in Colorado. 
We named, right? We named for sentiment. We named for originality. Uh, Jalen. Jalen is a popular name uh, that became popular uh, back in, I don't know, probably late 80s, early 90s. Jalen Rose, famous basketball star. And that's actually a combination of the names James and Leonard. My name, Timothy, is a very traditional name. My name actually has uh, some Greek origins, and my name, Timaeo, is the first part in the original Greek, and that means to honor. Theos, in the original Greek, is God. So my name, Timothy, literally means honoring God. You know, I know this not only because uh, I was raised in a very traditional Christian home, but my parents, they got me this name class when I was a kid. I think there's a picture, maybe, yeah, see? Honoring God. I'm sure there was like some jokes when I was a kid and mother's like, you're not living up to your name. Um, but there is meaning that is associated with certain names. In the Bible, we see this time and time again. As we read throughout the scriptures, we find these different people that are given names. Some of them are given to them by their parents and then God decides, nope, I'm going to change it. One of these people is uh, the individual of Joshua. Now Joshua was a guy that took over for Moses. In the Old Testament, he was going to let the people of Israel into the promised land. He was given this name. And the uh, original Greek origins, again, the wonders of the internet, I'm not this smart. But his name in the original Hebrew was Yoheshua, meaning Yahweh, which is the uh, Hebrew God. Yahweh from the root, uh, referring to that Hebrew God, and Yesha, meaning to save. So Joshua's name literally means God that saves. He was given this name to remind the people of Israel that it wasn't Joshua who was taking them into the promised land, but it was God who was taking them into the promised land. We see another name uh, in the Bible that was given with a specific purpose. In Luke 1, uh, chapter 30 through 31, Luke is a, a, um, a gospel, we call it, which stands for the good news. Is the story of Jesus Christ that was written uh, right after Jesus was here on this earth. And then we have a record, uh, Luke 1, verse 30 and 31 says, And the angel said to her, her is Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So this book that was written about the story and the life of Jesus that we, we pulled this verse from was actually written in Greek. Uh, but Mary, being a Jew, would have spoken Aramaic. So when Gabriel actually came to her, he said to her, Mary, you shall name your son Yeshua. You heard that's the same name that was given to the Old Testament person who brought the people of Israel into the promised land, Joshua. This guy I work with, and as I've been preparing for this sermon, his name is Joshua, so I just started calling him Yeshua. And a lot of people are like, hey, yo, Yeshua! Right? And he's, he plays along. He's really nice. Um, so, Jesus. This is the Greek interpretation of the name Yeshua. Similarly, my name kind of has the same type of difference to it. Right? Depending on what culture or what country you come from. I've got guys at work that call me Timoteo. My dad, growing up, used to call me Timotheus. Timothy, it's the same type of thing, Yeshua, Jesus. This is the Greek interpretation of the name. A couple weeks ago, uh, I think last weekend actually, I watched this movie called Creed. 
Creed is a continuation of the Rocky series uh, from back in the 80s, probably. And in it, Adonis Johnson is the main character. Adonis is the estranged son of one of the main characters from the series, uh, famous boxer Apollo Creed. And as Adonis starts to come through the ranks in the boxing world, he refuses to tell anybody that he is Apollo Creed's son. He wants to make his own way. He wants to go based on his own talents and his own ability, not based upon his father's name. So as the story unfolds, Adonis gets a chance to fight for the title. But the guy that he wants to fight doesn't want to fight him unless he drops the name Johnson and takes on the name of Creed. The guy's argument is, hey, nobody's going to come watch this fight if it's me versus Johnson. But if it's me versus Creed, the great son of her, the son of the great Apollo Creed, then we can sell some tickets. So Adonis is rightly so. He's like, hey, I don't, I don't want that. I want to be able to fight you because of my own merits. But he quickly realizes that that's not going to happen. So spoiler alert, Adonis takes on the name of Creed so that he can fight in that fight. Because the name of Creed has significance and power that he is able to claim. A name is a pretty powerful thing. Uh, a lot of us are probably guilty of name dropping every once in a while, right? Every once in a while I go, I go golfing with my brother Ted. He's a really, really good golfer. I'm not. But I tell all the people that I go, oh, hey, I'm Ted Williams' brother. I'm not cool. So I get up there, and then I hit my first tee shot, and then realize that, that I'm not anywhere as good as him. But for a split second, I have their respect, maybe a little bit of fear, because I think, oh, it's Ted Moline's brother. There is power. Does that mean? I don't know. There is power <laughs> in a name. We do this all the time. We, we take the, the power that is in a name. As our athletes go off to away games, away meets, away matches, things of that nature. A lot of times I remember being told, hey, you're a representation of your school and your family. You're representing your name. We meet here in a gymnasium on a Sunday morning before the Chiefs game in the name of Jesus. Now, a lot of us are here for a lot of different reasons. We got baptisms. We got all sorts of myriad reasons why we're here. But generally speaking, broad strokes, we're here in the name of of Jesus. Yeshua. God is salvation. So if we're representing this name or we're here learning about this name, the question comes to mind for me, salvation from what? Or salvation for what? Let's try to tackle this salvation for what? Uh, the Bible has four different accounts of the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels, as I referenced to earlier. Uh, gospel stands for good news. So this is the good news of the story of Jesus. One of those is written by a guy named John. And uh, John is self-proclaimed one of Jesus' best friends. He's one of his disciples, spent a lot of time with him. And he wrote in John chapter 10, verses 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, that is Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So salvation for a full life. Other translations uh, use the word abundance. Jesus came that we may have abundant life. <laughs> so what is abundant life? Is it riches? Is it luxury? Is it a life of ease? Uh, I don't think so. 
And here's why I say that very simply. Jesus didn't live his life that way. Jesus grew up in a very, very poor community in a town outside of the big city of Jerusalem, a small town called Nazareth. We say that Jesus and his father were both carpenters. The likelihood of that means that they were probably they were builders of some kind, stonemasons or something. But basically, they would probably go into Jerusalem every day and go work for the rich people. They didn't live a luxurious life. They didn't live an easy life. As Jesus went throughout his ministry, he didn't have a home. He didn't have a hotel. He traveled from place to place to place. So what it tells me is that an abundant life is not a life of luxury and ease. So what is an abundant life? As we see Jesus throughout his ministry, written down in his books for us in the Bible, we see Jesus healing the sick. We see Jesus visiting the outcasts. We see Jesus surrounded by his 12 disciples. We see Jesus with people. You see, I believe that an abundant life is a life filled with people. A life lived in relationship. And I believe that Jesus is a personal God that wants to be in relationship with those around him and wants to be in relationship with us. So, Jesus is a personal God. So this abundant life for me, this abundant life looks like community. I believe this with every single fiber of my being because I look around this room and I see people that are my community. I see two young men that made a decision to follow Christ in baptism today that are part of my community. I see friends that I run with and that I go out with, that I have fun with, that I live my life with that have come here because loudmouth preacher Tim's talking. I got people from my work that have come here that are part of my community they're here because they support me. I live in relationship with the people around me. One of the things I love about this community of Westside that we have as part of our larger church is that we are people that live in community. We don't just show up on Sunday mornings. We do life together. I see a lot of these people throughout the week. I see them at the grocery store. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundant. That we may have it with those around us in relationship with each other and with him. A command that Jesus gave in that book says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Wait, so that means those people that were at the restaurant that I work at last night until like 1.30 in the morning keeping me there not getting any sleep so that I could come here. I'm supposed to love those people? Because funny story, I was reviewing my notes last night at about that time, and one of my coworkers came up and I said, man, I just wish these people would leave. And then I turned the page and I started reading this and I went, oh yeah. I'm supposed to love those people. Like Jesus loved me. So yes, we are supposed to love those people. And when we do that, we experience, I believe, this abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Can you imagine what this world would look like if we all lived by that rule of loving one another, like we should love ourselves? Can you imagine how abundant life would be if we all did that? So Jesus, Yeshua, God that saves, saves us for an abundant life marked by love. So what did Jesus save us from? 
Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's two words here that I want to maybe redefine for us a little bit. Now I'm going to go ahead and steal from my friend Mike, because he was born back then, uh, and I'm going to take some words from his book. <laughs> If you love me, you will. He's got some great ideas in here about two words, the word sin and the word death. So the English word sin comes from the Greek word hamartia. Did I say that right? Hamartia. The word literally translated means not hitting the mark. In the book, Mike goes on to talk about uh, a bullseye, playing darts. If you ever played darts, you know at the center of the dartboard there's a bullseye. And in some of the games, the point is to hit that mark. As I've read through Mike's book, and as him and I have talked, and as I've, I've grown in my knowledge and my faith, I've come to learn that that mark is loving Jesus and loving people. And guess what, guys? We miss that mark constantly, all of us today. I do. I'm not making any indictments on anybody that I don't know, but I miss that mark constantly. I fail to love people around me constantly. And so when I miss that mark, the consequences of that is death. Let's look at that word too. Again, in his book, Michael Zahn talked about death as a separation. Think about it. When something dies, it is separated from its purpose. If a plant dies, its purpose is to bear seeds and bear fruit so that it can continue on. When that plant dies, it doesn't do that anymore. The point of a relationship is that community and being together. And when there's a break, when there's a death of that relationship, there's a death of that togetherness. It is a separation that occurs. Enter Yeshua, Jesus, God that saves. John 3.16, perhaps one of the most famous scripture verses in all of history, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Now the next verse, not nearly as popular, continues on. John 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son, Jesus, into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, hear the good news. The wages of missing the mark of not loving God and not loving each other. The wages of that is separation. Separation from God and separation from our community. But God gave us the gift of His Son. His Son who came to this earth to live amongst us, to be in community with us, that we may have relationship with Him. To die on that cross and take the place of that separation that we may have eternal life. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, Yeshua, shall be saved. Friends, there is power in the name of Jesus. Power to take that separation and to heal it. I don't know what that looks like for you today. Some of us, that's the, the brokenness of a relationship. It's All Saints Day. We remember the hurt and the pain of being separated from those that we love. Whatever that death is, whatever that separation is, 
We worship a God who came down in human form. The God who was given the name of Jesus. God that saves so that we can spend eternity with Him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this day and this time that we get to set aside to come and to worship you, to celebrate you, to celebrate the things that you are doing in and through this community. God, I pray that you would continue your work here in Kearney, continue your work here at Westside, continue your work at First United Methodist Church. God, be to us the God that saves, the God that is our Savior and that has a personal relationship with us. And all these things we pray. Amen.